Hello, hello, hello. What's up? Welcome back to another episode of Black Financial Initiative, BFI, uh, where we're always bringing you the, the latest and the greatest and trying to help improve your financial literacy. So we'll kick it off to Larry. What do we have today? Man, man, look, super excited. We have a great episode, a great guest today. We have James Bowman. He is the host of Gen Z Money Podcast. He is a real estate investor. Uh, James, are you still 23 years old? Are you 23 yep. years old right now? Still 23 years old. He's a, he's a, uh, he's a veteran. Um, very excited to talk to him. He's a little younger than us, so uh, it might be a little different perspe perspective. Me and E, we're millennials. I don't know if Terrence is. Terrence, are you a millennial? <laughs> Young at heart. That's all you need to know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so Ter Terrence is the, the senior of us. So, um, <laughs> But um, yeah, man, very excited to have you on, James. H how are you doing this morning? Man, I am blessed and highly favored, man. I appreciate you guys inviting me on to have this conversation. I love it. I love what y'all are doing on this thing, man. Yeah, vice versa. We, we love what you're doing, too. But yeah, so I guess we'll go ahead and get into the questions. Okay, uh, appreciate you for, for, appreciate you for coming on, James. Uh, kind of one of the first things I want to get into, uh, like Larry mentioned, the Gen Z Money podcast. Why did you want to do it? And can you tell us some, tell us a little bit about it? Yeah, Eric, that's a great question, man. And I love to start there. So the reason the podcast actually wasn't the original idea I had, you know, mm. um, being Gen Z, being younger, financial literacy, obviously, is something that we aren't really taught in any schools, you know, and I knew that we needed it the most. And so I, what I wanted to start doing was financial coaching, you know, helping people build budgets, start investing into the market, maybe get into real estate or even buy your first home. But then I had this idea or this self-limiting factor. I'm like, wait a minute, James, why would somebody take financial advice from a 23 year old? <laughs> and, and then I realized like, I need to build some type of credibility. And that's where I got the idea for the Gen Z Money podcast. Oh, that's a good point. <laughs> I you like know, that. I like that. Because yeah, definitely, um, definitely to a, think about that, like in kind of in reverse, like you said, who would take advice from a 23 year old just kind of walking up to you like, yeah, let me help you do that. <laughs> do that. It's like you have to have some type of, won't say foundation, but something that I guess like the public or that person could see that would give you some type of credibility to make them uh, follow you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I mean, I think podcasting is kind of the easiest way to get it out there because it it's very uh, low maintenance. It doesn't take much to get started. And the information is out there for everyone to absorb, no, no, regardless where you are. You know, if you're driving to work or if you're at work and you just want to listen, it's a great tool that you know they re they can listen and realize okay he might know something he doesn't know everything but he might know a little bit more than me and Ooh. yeah yeah and that, that's something we kind of on our podcast we try to make sure that we talk about stuff that we've kind of experienced you know mm -hmm. um we we don't want to say something that we don't not experience about and, and and misinform the the people man real quick um behind you we have uh, some uh, a gun behind you you're a veteran correct yeah, I did uh, five years in the United States Army, and that's kind of like a memorabilia stand just to remind me of, you know, what brought me, what made me the man I am today, you know. Man, let me ask you, and this wasn't one of the questions, uh, but is there anything from the military that you kind of 
use for your financial life? Like, did you, you learn from? You know what, man, Larry, that's a great question. So I, I am the person where if someone, I want to start by saying this, if someone ever asked me, you know, James, should I join the military? I'm always going to 100% tell them yes. And even if it didn't give me the financial footing I was looking for, it gave me so much structure as a 17 year old to um, lead into what it takes to be financially secure, financially disciplined. It taught me, you know, how to be disciplined, how to experience delayed gratification and stuff like that. So I want to start by saying that. Now, if you ask me what I go back in, I'm going to say no. Right. Because I had my own experience and it's just it was my experience. I experienced it. I enjoyed it whatever. With that being said, back to your question, there were, I think the military lifestyle kind of taught me what not to do in your financial journey, because you, you look around and you see, um, I'm not sure if you guys are aware, but military are kind of like easy pickings when it comes to bad financial decisions, like car loans and credit cards and things like that. Like, they are, the number one rule is don't buy a car within 50 miles of a military installation because they realize how easily you are to be roped in. So it kind of taught me what not to do, but it didn't really teach me what to do. OK, that makes sense. And I can imagine, you know, like you said, within a certain distance from a military base or whatnot, people kind of taking advantage of newcomers i guess because you probably have a lot of younger uh people just now coming in like you said you were 17 17 18 year, years old and people that haven't had that that life experience or maybe have not had someone that's taught them or coached them a little bit about finances so it's easy pickings you're exactly right terrence it's it's the younger generation man we don't know what we're getting into and the last thing we want to do is listen to someone older than us it's just it's a it's the society we live in man it's Ah, yeah. We all think we know what we're doing. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> well, let me tell you something, young whippersnapper. Uh, <laughs> life comes at you fast. <laughs> and, uh, um, you know, you mentioned you joining the military at 17. I guess what got you started, like, on your financial journey, I guess? I'm sure it's, I would think it started that young, but what got you started on it? Like, what was the tipping point of, like, I have to change? Was this something that occurred in the military or? Yeah, man, that, that, that's an awesome question, Eric. So it was kind of a progressive evolution in my financial journey. So it started, of course, I'm 17. I didn't make any really big financial mistakes like hundreds of thousand dollars in student loans or jacking up credit cards. I was very, because I grew up, you know, below poverty. And so I wasn't used to having money. So I was spending money as it was coming in. And as long as I didn't spend more than I made, I felt like I was okay. What the tipping point that you're alluding to was, I remember I went to go buy my first car and I had, I just got my first tax refund. It was a couple thousand dollars. So I'm at the car dealership. I'm making the deal. I buy the car. Boom. They tell me, hey, you're not allowed. And I, I spent all of my money on the car. I put $3,000 down. I had like $3,100 in my checking account. And that was it. So before I leave, they're like, hey, you know, who's your insurance company? We need your insurance. I'm like, what is insurance? And so 
Yeah, yeah, y'all are looking like, oh man. <laughs> but no, this is this is real because this was like a slap in the face. So I'm like, okay, I, I already had a, an account with USA, so I call them and I'm setting up insurance, and they're like, okay, it's gonna be your deductible is gonna be a thousand dollars. I'm like, what is a deductible? And they explained to me, they're like, well, if you crash the car and we have to pay out, you have to pay a thousand dollars. So instantly in my head, I'm like, I don't have a thousand dollars. What if I leave this dealership? I crash right now. What am I going to do? And it completely, completely scared the crap out of me. And it was at that moment I had put the insurance on my credit card. I had no way of paying off to the next paycheck. So, you know, it, it's raining outside and I'm driving the car from the dealership to my house, oh, petrified, man. <laughs> petrified, man, petrified. And I'm just like, okay, there is absolutely nothing else I can do besides save a thousand dollars. That has to be, I'm not eating out. I'm not buying anything else. I'm doing nothing until I have at least a thousand dollars in my account. And it was at that moment that I believe the steps started changing. Oh, nice. And that's a crash course <laughs> having to learn, <laughs> having to learn that. And I knew it was gonna be uh I knew it was gonna be good. It's like I just got my tax refund. I was like, oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the story starts out with I just got my tax refund. Yeah. <laughs> Man, I, I pretty think, entertaining. I think you went really good detail about that story. It might have been your first episode or your second episode. I don't I don't remember, but you, you went into really good detail. Please. Uh, listeners of BFI, please go listen to, to this podcast. He has some great information. So a thousand dollars, you guys saved up, you know, just to make free, just make sure you're deductible. So what, what I guess anything happened after that or anything? Yeah. So once I had that thousand dollars, you know, there was a certain level of relief that came over my body. But what I realized was it was so easy once I put my mind to it to save that thousand dollars. And so I decided from that point, okay, I'm going to start systematically saving. Every time I get paid, I'm going to save. I think at the time it was like $200. I was getting paid like $700 every two weeks uh, as an E1 in the military. So I'm just saving $200, $400 a month. I'm just going to save it and save it and save it and stack it up. And it worked. And then I don't know. I, I don't, I really don't know what, what, what made me decide to make a shift, but after I got to 3000 4000 somewhere around there, I was like, okay, instead of saving this money, now I'm going to start paying off my car. And so I start making that money I was putting in the savings, I start paying off my car. And I get a tax refund, and it all goes on the car. And yeah, y'all are like, oh, tax yeah, refund, yeah. yeah. But this time, I didn't mess it up, man. I didn't mess it up this time. So, so I get the tax refund, I'm putting it all on my car, and I'm you know, I'm doing this, I end up getting my car paid off. So that's another relief. And then of course, I get married, my wife and I move into our first apartment, and we're still systematically living below our means way below our means, and saving the excess. And we made it a very, very uh, strict goal, like do not inflate our lifestyle. If I get promoted or if I get bonuses or if I get tax refunds, it all goes to saving. And it does, we don't get a bigger house. It's just us two. We don't get better cars. You know, she's in college. So we're trying to keep student loans at a bare minimum for her. And that's what we did. And then going back to kind of Eric's question, I, I give my wife full credit for this. She asked me one day because I ended up getting up to like 
we ended up getting up to like $20,000. And she finally asked me like, James, what are you saving for now? Ooh. And I, I didn't know what to tell her. I, I didn't know about investing. I didn't know about anything. I didn't know what to tell her. I'm just like, I don't even know. That's what sparked the interest in, okay, now that I've saved up this amount, I don't think anything's going to come up that's going to cost more than $20,000 a solve. Yeah. What are the next steps? So that was a great, great, you know, outstanding story of telling us, telling us about that maturation, just life experiences. So now you're at that point, and how did you start to learn more about finances, financial literacy, financial freedom outside of those experiences that you had went through at an early age? That's the easy answer, Terrence. YouTube <laughs> University, man. <laughs> university, man. I started Googling, like, what do you do with your money after you save so much? And then I learned about investing. I learned about real estate. Um, I found an awesome video by Graham Stephan. I'm not sure if you guys are aware. He's a, oh, yeah. he, he talks about real estate and retirement investing and things like that. And so once I found real estate, I found real estate before anything else. And I was like, okay. You know, we need to start saving up to buy some real estate. <laughs> but yeah, it was it was YouTube University, man. I mean, it was. I think everybody kind of starts there, at least. Yeah, from my for sure. <laughs> yeah, I agree with that. For sure, and I think uh, you and your wife, man, y'all just ahead of y'all time with like the. Uh, we have an episode about that as far as like the whole promotion and not <laughs> living up to that that life standard, man. To really just stay back and trim all that down, keep it at that level. While you're getting promotions, while you're getting raises, that that was that was outstanding, man. That was that was great to hear. But I'll elaborate even on that, Eric, because that goes kind of back to I was in the military, in the military culture, and I'm surrounded by people. It's like as soon as you get a promotion, that's like a a, a three hundred dollar pay uh, pay bump a month. Well, what do you do with that money? You go out and you get a new car, or you get a new mm. truck. Or you, mm. you know, and I saw that happening around me and I realized like these people are, they're getting promoted. They're making more money. I'm looking at people who are three or four ranks above me and they're living paycheck to paycheck. Yep. Mm-hmm. And I'm making a thousand dollars a month less than them. And I'm not. And so it's, it's like, <laughs> I need to look at them. I need to figure out what are they doing that I'm not. So I don't replicate it. Mm. I got a couple of things to say before what you said. 17, 18 years old, I was saving to buy Ralph Lauren. I wasn't, I wasn't thinking about what you're talking about. <laughs> I was getting paid, I was getting paid every week. Every week I was going to the outlet mall. I was <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So for you to at that age to you know to think about that, man, that's that's um I mean you're you're really starting above most of us. And then also you brought up your wife. What what age did you get married? Oh, Boy, you are testing Uh-oh. me. I want to say I was <laughs> approximately. <laughs> I was either I was either eighteen or nineteen. Okay, so you 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 got married really. Oh man, he got married. <laughs> Congratulations, yeah. congratulations! But it helps out. I you know I got married, you know, somewhat young as well. I think twenty three or twenty four years old, and um and definitely my wife definitely like helped me push me. You know, when you get married at a young age, you have to you have to grow up. Like you don't have no choices. So everything you're thinking about is your family and. It, it, it makes a big difference. You know what I'm saying? So a shout, shout out to the wives, all the wives. Yeah, man. And I, I really want to point out what you just said. Like once you get married, you that forces you to grow up. Now you're not only living for yourself. 
Now you are living for someone else and you have to be able to provide for someone else. And that was kind of, it's kind of forced upon you, you know? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Man. When, uh, when you were watching the, I guess all like, I'm a big believer in uh, YouTube university. That's, that's where I go for a lot of my stuff too. I guess when you were watching that, I guess, how did you own in on people or determine like what this person is saying is legit versus not legit? Cause there's a lot of, there's a lot on YouTube, you know, it's a lot of get rich quick schemes and you can do this with no money down and, you know, a lot of stuff like that. Or you following the guy with the Lamborghini in the background saying, oh, yeah. let, me, let me show you now. <laughs> you know, uh, there's, there's two things with that, right? Because um, I'm also a big fan of Dave Ramsey and he's got a saying, it's like, I want to. I want to follow behind old rich people. I don't want to follow behind new rich people, right? Because old rich people, it's hard. It's easy to get rich, but it's hard to stay wealthy. So, but I will, I'm going to, I'm going to be hundred percent honest. And this probably isn't the answer that you're looking for, Eric. I got completely lucky when I found Graham Stephan, his whole premise on investing was buy it, never sell it. Do not try and time the market. Uh, do not just try and play single stocks, get like an index fund or a mutual fund, mm-hmm. diversify. You know, it was always buy, hold, never sell, regardless of what the market does. You don't need it now. You need it till 65. Once that I got that idea in my head, anything that defied that, anything that was, oh, buy this stock or buy this crypto, it instantly was like, no, that's stupid. So mm. it was lucky that I found what I consider to be the right information from the get-go. Mm-hmm. And that, that's an answer, man. That's that's how you found it. That's how you found it. Like you said, that's, that's just great luck at that point to know, like, <laughs> these are all the things you need to buy and then just hold them. Mm-hmm. I hope. That's one of the things we kind of uh, preach on here as well, as far as, you know, finding something that's a little bit more sustainable, has some history behind it. And then you don't have to try to play the game of trying to time the market. Some people, you know, have that, that research, have a program set up. They're watching the stock in the news constantly. And you have a little bit more information to, to try to make those moves on the, on the run. But other than that, the safest bet is to try to, you know, get something that has some history and just riding it out. If it drops a little bit, it'll come back. Yeah, it's great that you bring that up, Terrence, because. Uh, I always like to point out like people who are day trading and people, there are 100% people out there that are doing it successfully. They do it as a job. They wake up when the market opens, they do what they need to do. They make their money and they get out. And I, I'm not going to be the one to say people cannot do it because people do it every day. I'm lazy, right? I don't, I, I have a day job. I have a family. I have a podcast. I have things I need to do that doesn't involve staring at the market and timing it and educating myself that deeply. So it kind of fit me perfectly to be able to just systematically buy something and let it, let it run its full course out till, until retirement. Hey man, event. do the same thing. When I first started, I was, man, I was trying to hawk out something falls 10, 10, uh, 10 cents. I'm like, Oh crap, man. I might need to sell now. <laughs> and go back up. Oh, okay. Okay. Maybe I jumped too early. So after a while, I was like, man, this is stupid. This is, <laughs> this is ridiculous. And you have to look and, and figure out that 
like from reading this or seeing this on YouTube or whatnot, they're like, okay, there's a better way of doing this. Yeah, and, and the thing is, like, the stats support, like, I, I can't remember the last statistic I saw, but it said something crazy, like, 90% of day traders do not outperform the S&P 500 index over a 20-year span. And so I, I'm a very big, I go with the probability instead of the possibility. So I'd rather just play that 90%, 97% and just put it in an index and hope I have a 90% chance of beating but I could have otherwise. So mm-hmm. that's a good point. <laughs> probability versus possibility. I like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I know you uh, mentioned your wife earlier when she asked you, you know, what, what are you saving for? Once you found out uh, like real estate was your thing, was it easy to convince her that like, you know, let's go do this? Or did it take some convincing to get her on? You know, my wife, she is, she's awesome, man. Um, once she saw, because I'm not sure if you guys can relate, but I've gone through phases in my life where I go 100% gung-ho on something. It only lasts for a couple months, and then I kind of drop it and forget about it. Mm-hmm. And I've done that about multiple things in my life where I'm like, man, this is the next thing I'm going to go gung-ho in, and then I end up falling off, and I don't. my interest doesn't stay on it very long. So when she saw that, I was looking at real estate, understanding, running, you know, the numbers on properties for three, four, five, six, seven months at a time. I think she kind of realized like, okay, this isn't just one of those things he's just going to do for 30 days and get over it. You know, this is a long term Mm. thing. So she saw the amount of time, dedication and passion that I was putting into just looking, even if we weren't buying at the time, I was still looking at the thing and I was saying, hey, babe, you know, if we buy this property, you will net after all expenses, $400 a month, you know, mm-hmm. and that put a lot of faith in her to kind of follow my lead, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Man, you, you went into real estate and um, anybody who listens to our podcast knows real estate's um, it's near to my heart. And uh, we kind of have similar stories as far as that goes with our wives. So my wife, it was actually my wife's idea. I give her all her props. There was an idea for real estate because um, her father invests in real estate. So I wasn't at the very beginning, I wasn't interested. But um, once I started doing some research, I decided it was something that's good for us. And um, and she kind of in, in the same way, she kind of followed my lead. like. Um, you know, I'm, every day I'm sitting here, you know, doing math and seeing how much, you know, cash flow we're going to get and everything and thinking about depreciation, and everything like that. Um, and, and like you said, she, for my wife, she knows that it's not something that's just like, you know, you know, it's going to be a couple of days or a month. Like she knows this is for long term. So we have kind of similar uh, stories when it comes to that. Uh, so I'm going to go and go into the next question. When did you start investing in real estate and uh, what type of real estate investing are you involved in? Yeah, great question, Larry. So I started, we bought our first, uh, our plan to go in because I was still active duty was to purchase our primary home, get it in on a VA loan for 0% down, and then live there for the required occupancy, and then in the future rent it out. So we purchased our first home in twenty December of twenty. No, I'm sorry. January of 2021, we closed on our first. Uh, I'm no, God, I'm sorry. January of 2020, 
is when we closed on our first home. So uh, we started looking in December. The market where we live, uh, it wasn't very active, meaning it was a lot easier to get into uh, good properties back then. And so we got it at a really good count. It's appreciated ridiculous amounts. And we ended up, the seller paid all closing costs. We were in for $0. I mean, it was a home run. But you guys know what happened in March of 2020. (laughs) And I tell you what, man, I was terrified. I, I was terrified. You know, they weren't real estate kind of just came to a halt for a little while. Um, But yeah, we, we purchased our first home with the intention of renting it out after a year plus of living there. So I ran the numbers based on once we move out, the rent right now is this. So we'll cash flow this. If the rent goes up $50, $100, then we'll cash flow this. But yeah, I was completely wrong about all of it. It ended up cash flowing three of like $400 a month more than I expected. So it was, it was wow. Crazy. That's a good way to be wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was 100% wrong on it. But of course, uh, by the time we moved out, we were coming out of the pandemic in 2021. You know, housing prices had shot up. So had rent had shot up. So it was, I wasn't wrong solely to be wrong. I attribute a little bit of that to the effects of the pandemic. Yeah. So, yeah, something you couldn't see coming. So is, is, do you have one rental right now? So we currently have two rentals, one primary residence, and then right now we're looking for our third rental. Okay. Okay. That's, that's, that's fantastic, uh, especially at your age, man. Yeah. I appreciate that, man. Do you, do you have plans? Like, are you using this as like retirement? Like, do you plan on retiring early using real estate, or what are your plans? So... If you don't mind, I'll kind of give you the long-term play of how I see this going. And to be honest with you, it could change any day. But the mm-hmm. plan right now is to, um, right now we're in the, in the the accumulation phase. So I just want to buy, uh, I'm trying to do two to three rentals a year um, until we have enough cash flow after all expenses to replace Um, our current living expenses. So we live on about $3,000 a month, you know, 3,000 to 3,500. So once I have enough cash flow to replace that, then I'm going to transition from accumulation to security. I'm just going to start actively paying those properties off to kind of lessen the risk if there is a downturn. Um, And of course, it's not the mathematical mathematically best thing to do for wealth long term but i also want to balance security with risk man you i mean you you started way before i did but i mean you you and me kind of have similar plans like i i plan on having about 10 uh rental properties paid off by 50 and that's my retirement plan so i know a lot of people in real estate they're not that big on paying off they'll, they'll just wait until um their tenants paid off in 30 years um, but, um, you mentioned Dave Ramsey, Dave Ramsey doesn't talk too much about real estate, but he does talk about having low debt. And, um, and I don't ever want to have too much debt, no matter what I'm doing, even if that's in real estate, kind of similar, I, I, you know, I want to accumulate some, but I don't want to accumulate too much to where, you know, I have too much debt. I want to start paying them off at some point in time. 
Yeah, I think people, I talk about this on one of the podcasts I just uh, edited up. It's like, I don't think people appreciate the power of debt freedom as much as they should. I think not many people have felt what it feels like to have absolutely no debt. And I, I felt it for a very short amount of time, like maybe six months or so. But the peace of mind that comes with that, I, I personally value that peace of mind more than becoming the next Grant Cardone, you know, billionaire real estate guy, you know, or even Dave Ramsey, who's hundreds of million dollars in net worth. Man, y'all are speaking on something right now. That's uh, that could be a whole podcast in itself or a whole segment because you have two kind of groups of people that feel strongly about both sides of that. Of like, no debt is is very important. It's key. And then you have people that are like, oh man, you have all this good debt. You know, you you use your debt and accumulate assets to. Uh, you know, it doesn't matter how much your debt is. It's all about how much is coming in. So and so you have kind of these two opposing sides sometimes. Uh, and that's why Dave Ramsey can be so controversial because some people totally disagree with him. Like, oh, why is he saying no debt? You need to get rid of, you know, you need to not care about debt at all. It's all about what you have coming in. As long as that debt is invested in something that's an asset, it's okay. Uh, and and I, I agree more so with you two because it seems like you or trying to find that balance of like, yes, there's going to be some debt, but I also try to limit that risk. Yeah, I, I love that you bring that up, man, because it's like I listen to Dave Ramsey and I don't follow every single thing he says. I listen to Grant Cardone. He has some awesome content. I don't follow every single thing he says. But when someone, anyone is able to listen to two opposing arguments and find that middle ground, like take a little bit from the left and a little bit from the right and mold it to fit your personal financial plan where you want to take your family. I think that is literally the best option out of all of them. Right. Mm -hmm. So totally agree. We, we had um, the neighborhood finance guy on before and he made a good point. It's personal finance. It's your personal like what, what works for you. What one person does, you know, most likely you're not going to do 100 percent what they do. What the other person does, probably not going to do 100 percent what they do. It's what's personally for you. I 100 percent agree with you on, on what you just said there. And I think a, a big part of it, like kind of what like T mentioned, and like you mentioned, like these, like the Grand Cardone, like it's kind of like the almost the probability versus possibility thing. Like it's possible, you know, a person can become those people, but those are the LeBrons and you know, the Steph Curry's like, you know, it's just like playing the numbers, you know, the, the odds of you becoming that, you know, is a lot less than just like the common man, you know, doing his plan and making it work out like that. It's just a lot more of the, I'll say the regular people out here than there are the, these, you know, crazy billionaires or whatever that are out there. And you can become one. I so I guess you, <laughs> but, but I, I hope you, I hope you end up being one of those millionaires or billionaires. Uh, any of our listeners out there, but yeah, it's the eyes are against you. So you do need to try to uh, kind of manage what you you have and your goals as far as to fit your your needs. But I'm going to. Oh, go go ahead. Oh, well, I was just going to say one last thing on that, man. I, I love pointing out because people. You know, I aspire to be people like Dave Ramsey and like Grant Cardone, 
do I, going back to, is it possible? It absolutely is. And I'm never going to take that possibility away from anybody, but is it probable? Probably not. So you need, at the end of the day, you can look at them as inspiration, but they're not going to be the saving grace for any of us. It, mm-hmm. It's just, not, I can't be the saving grace for everyone. And unfortunately, none of you guys can be the saving grace for everyone, but that doesn't mean that you guys can't inspire all everyone, everyone who you come in contact with. Right. So I'm going to take it back uh, a little bit towards the beginning of this, this episode where you were telling us how you got started and um, you were telling us a little bit about uh, coaching and uh, doing financial coaching. So I, I'm curious from your financial coaching experience, what do you see people struggling with and how do you help them? What's, what's one of the big things? I think the biggest thing, Terrence, is people do not understand how much money they have coming in and how much money they have going out. Um, and unfortunately, that is the most important stat, in my opinion, when it comes to uh, personal finances. You know, you cannot run a business if you don't know all of the income streams you have coming in and how many expenses you have going out. So you can't expect to operate your life on that. But that being said, that's where I always start, right? I always start with a budget or if we can call it tracking your spending or we can call it a spending planner because people, they have their own word for it to, they get their own feelings from it, which is fine. But that is the base of the pyramid. So there's no point in talking about investing into the stock market or investing into real estate or investing in syndications or all of these levels above the base of the pyramid, because if you don't have a solid base, then the whole thing is going to crumble. So that is the absolute number one issue that I have experienced so far with my financial coaching is people are not understanding how much they have coming in and how much they're spending. And how how ludicrous some of their spending is. Use the term you talked about budgets. Do you have a certain budget that you prefer? A type of budget? Uh, I don't, Larry. Uh, personal finance is personal, and so I always I start wherever my client is. Like I don't I don't like to put them on a budget and have them stick to it. I like to start with what their actual spending is. So we don't. When we sit down, we don't sit down and create a budget going forward. We sit down and we look back, okay, let's pull the last three months of bank statements. How much did you spend on your housing? How much did you spend on gas, transportation, food? And then once we have all of that data, then we can tailor it to meet whatever goal that you want to meet. Is it a lot of, uh, I won't say fighting, but (laughs) they're very reluctant, I guess. To, to change some things, or whether it be like a cable bill, they're like, oh, man, I have to. Like, I don't want to drop my package lower or whatever the case. That's a good question, Eric. There, if there is, I don't, I haven't necessarily, and of course, I'm still very new to this whole personal coaching thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I, that, that, that's a good question. I really can't answer that because I, at least to me, I don't get any pushback, but I like to be very, I want clients to be open with me. Like, for example, if you're used to spending um, $800 a month on groceries for your family, and I tell you, look, we need to get that budget down to $500 a month to be optimal. 
I want you, if, if you don't think you can do it, I want you to tell me, look, James, I don't think that's feasible because there's no point in me making suggestions. And if you're going to leave this meeting and not implement any of it, mm-hmm. I'd rather deal with those combatants, you know, during the meeting so we can both come to a resolution that'll get you where you want to be. Um, I have had some, a lot of times it's, they know what they need to do. <laughs> they just needed me to affirm, like, mm. you're right, you need to do it. And I'll just give a quick example. Um, there was a client I had who they were living paycheck to paycheck. They had $50,000 in credit card bill, uh, credit card balances. They had leased the Lexus. It was like a $700 a month car payment. And they mm. obviously they couldn't afford it. And, you know, they brought up like, you know, we've thought about selling the Lexus. And I'm like, well, since it's your idea, absolutely. And they ended up, uh, it was it was very recent. So you guys understand how the used car market is right now. It's actually ridiculous. Mm-hmm. They ended up profiting. So not only did they get rid of the car that they did not really need, they ended up getting rid of that $700 lease payment. And they also got rid of, uh, they, they ended up pocketing like, $3,000 or something like that. Oh, so man. now they have $3,000. They freed up $700 in their budget a month. Their insurance goes down and it's just a domino effect. But because it was their idea, they were so much less reluctant reluctant to act on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we're sports fans here. So it sounds like you're the coach who doesn't enforce your way of coaching you look at let's say bruce aarons bruce aarons let tom brady come in and let him kind of use his strengths and, and let tom brady kind of run the offense knowing his strengths instead of bruce aarons no risk and no biscuit all the time <laughs> you know, throw some, some jailbreak screens in there you know what i'm saying <laughs> yeah because i mean like let's look at you guys like who which one of you guys would want to go into someone's office and they just tell you all of the bs they think you're doing and then say, look, this is the plan I have. Take it or leave it. Like no one is going to implement that. And that's why it's so hard for people like Dave Ramsey to influence the majority of the people because his, his plan, although it is a magnificent plan, it's not one size fits all. So you can't just get a client who's a, a square and try and fit them into your round hole. You have to tailor a hole specifically for them that they will fit through and they won't kick back, as I would say. Cool. So um, we've talked about your age. Like I said, you're a little younger than all of us, I guess. But um, at your age, what is your philosophy for retirement investing? So right now, retirement, I so in my current mindset, I don't consider my real estate as retirement, even though, of course, it is because I'm going to have those assets at retirement. Um, but I consider my retirement like uh, my Roth IRAs, HSAs, things that I actually cannot access until retirement. So I, I put, I go ahead and I max out a Roth every year. And of course, at my age, looking at average returns, that'll make me a millionaire by the age of retirement. So that's automated and that happens. But I also have, of course, I get my employee match through my Roth 401k. So I contribute up to that. But everything else really is to uh, is going into real estate. And that's just because I want to create that income up front. 
the Roth IRAs and stuff, they're fine and they have the tax advantages, but that's not going to help me today. And so a, a lot of, a majority of my focus is on building up this real estate to replace my income today. And then as I talked about earlier, the paying it off, getting the debt knocked out before I begin to, before I continue to accumulate, that's kind of my retirement plan when it comes to uh, real estate, because I'm going to have these properties paid off and I can do whatever I want with them up to that point. Man, it sounds like you and me are kind of, kind of same mindset because I know, um, our brothers, because <laughs> <laughs> I've, my wife and I both fully invest in our Roth IRAs and um, you know, you can't really take that. You can't, well, without, you know, getting taxes and penalties to like 59 and a half years old. So, but in the meantime, we want to retire before, you know, 59 and a half, 60 years old. So we're investing in real estate. So um, it sounds like you and I kind of have similar plans. So, um, but for you, you started 10 years before we did though. So, you know, so you're, you're ahead of the game for real. But at least you started, right? Like let's, let's, we got to look at the bright side of that. Like at least you started because there are, unfortunately, I'm not trying to uh, date you guys, but there are people your age that oh still say, no, 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 I didn't say you were outdated. I said I didn't want to date you guys. No, but, I don't mess with you. No, yeah, man, well. it's people um, who are older think that it's too late to start. And I think that is the biggest misconception that even you guys are dispelling. Like, even if you started 59 and a half, the fact that you started is where the value really lies in finances. But it also goes to anything, right? It's where you start physically if you start going to the gym it doesn't matter where you start when you start it's the fact that you start you know so speaking of gym uh, me and t about to have a weight loss competition in the near future so um okay t okay. <laughs> yeah yeah man i i have to do it i have to do it it's it's about time and and i've never been one that's you know particularly heavy but i um Jumped on a scale yesterday. I think that was when I texted you, Larry, but that was uh, the heaviest I think I've ever been. So I was like, and my, my wife and I went walking and I was telling her, I was like, hey, you know, uh, I got to jump on this competition with, with Larry before it gets too late, you know, and it's kind of, it's, honestly, it's kind of like finances because what I was telling my my wife was that. You know, I'm I'm okay with the with the weight I'm at right now because even though it is my my heaviest, but I've got a, a new job or a different position. It's a little bit more sedentary. I'm at a desk a little bit more, so I'm not as active. So I have to do put more work in to maintain outside of uh you know just normal day to day stuff. But even though I'm okay with where that weight is now, I see the trajectory <laughs> the trajectory and know where it's headed because I'm okay with it now. But in five, six months, it'll be somewhat different. And I'll be telling myself the same thing. I'm okay with it now until 10 years from now, I'm 60 pounds heavier. And I'm like, oh, well, I sh you know, I should have stopped it uh, 10 years ago. So, and it's, it's a lot like your finances. You look at your finances, you look at your income, you look at what's going out and you're saying, oh man, we're maintaining, we're, we're good. I'm not going into debt. It's okay right now. But because you're okay with it now, you're not willing to put, do something different now, two years from now, whatever, it'll be in a whole different spot, whole different situation. And you won't be okay with where it's at. 
because but you were complacent at that moment so we're trying to get ahead of it now so that's that's what it's about i'm okay with what i said right now but i know in a couple of months at this rate i won't be so i'm like all right gotta start something now and you gotta do the same with your finances if you don't get a hold of it now in the future it might be somewhere you don't want it to be yeah and it's all about being intentional right like you have to be intentional with your oh, fitness man, brothers, you man, man, <laughs> who, man who are your parents dog that's my favorite word <laughs> yeah i mean there are so many correlations between uh finances and fitness and even like religion and I, it all ties in together the same principles that you learn in finances being intentional being disciplined being consistent you carry those over to your fitness and you're going to see improving results you carry that into your religion you're going to see results if you carry that into your marriage you're going to see the same results so it's the same principles it's just different areas of your life you know yeah just starting and being consistent if you're, if you're if you're consistent everything i mean everything should work out you know well well, as long as you're consistently doing the right thing. Well, there you go. You, you consistently <laughs> do the wrong thing. Yeah. Very good point. <laughs> Man, that's all the questions I have. Do you, you guys have any more questions for James? And I don't, but James, you've been phenomenal, man. Very impressive, especially seeing what you're doing at, at your age. Um, like I said, Gen Z. So you, you're doing it big for Gen Z. Uh, but, man, it's, it's fantastic. I love hearing what you had to say. I appreciate you. Uh, I guess one last question is, I guess, uh, what does financial freedom mean to you? Financial freedom to me, it gives you the freedom of time, right? We all, uh, a biggest issue that people have is they don't have enough time to do this. They don't have enough time to uh, increase their income. They don't have enough time to get into the gym. They don't have enough time to do X, Y, and Z. Financial freedom gives you that time back. You're spending less time trying to survive and thrive financially, and that time can be spent elsewhere. So it's it's really important to me, which is going back to this whole Gen Z money thing is like, I want my time back. And I realize I have more time than most people, but it's still not enough, right? I want to have children. I want to be able to tell them, like, hey, look, I'm going to be at your game this afternoon. I'm not working this afternoon. Or I'm going to take you to school today, and I'm, I'm going to go into work later. But it's that's what I'm striving for. And it's hard for me to believe that others don't want that, too. Mm. Totally agree with you, man. Working a nine to five for 40 years, you know, that's hard. Or you can start putting the work in now and, you know, living the life you want to live. That's going to be hard, you know. You know, after you get off work, you might have to put in a couple more hours after, you know, work doing, you know, whatever else you're doing to succeed in life. And that's hard as well. But, you know, choose your heart, though. Exactly. Choose your heart. But I do have I have a question for all three of you guys, if you don't mind. I know it's your podcast, but I just I love getting information. So yeah. what what do you guys think? Because you you probably interact with the younger Gen Z you know, the younger Gen Z people a little more than most people do. What do you think that we can improve on as Gen Z to help with this financial literacy thing too? I hope that makes sense. Yeah, man. I think for me, I think it's hard for Gen Z to, to, Gen Z to focus. I think social media has just like 
I mean, I think it's just, and I think Gen Z is, I would say, is like the first generation to like, to solely be under social media. Like, I still remember going outside, playing around, like still having to like find physical things to do. And, but I think like, I didn't get a cell phone to like 16. Social media wasn't a thing then. Like the phone could barely access the internet, <laughs> you know, more so in colleges where all that stuff started to happen for me. But I think Gen Z is like almost out the gate, like everything is social media. And I think it's just hard for, I feel like hard for Gen Z to focus. Yeah, it's a blessing. It's a blessing and a cursing. Curse. Yeah, because you can, like you said, YouTube University, YouTube. Really, I don't think I heard about YouTube until I was a senior in high school. I don't think, and and back then it was like cats and like they weren't really just teaching stuff <laughs> back then, you know. <laughs> um, and like text messaging, I think I got that maybe my senior year in, in high school as well. So stuff like that, you know, it wasn't around. But now you can use that information. You know, going back to more like YouTube, um, if you instead of looking up, you know just random stuff you can do like you did and look up informational stuff, you know, mm-hmm. stuff that can help you out. So I kind of, I kind of agree with E like um, just um, using, using that social media as, as a good thing, you know, not just wasting your time. So that's, I, I kind of piggyback on E's answer. Man, I think we're all on the same boat right now. kind of on the same, uh, same page as it comes to that. Because uh, I think what we need is, is, is you, James, you know, as far as the younger generation. Because uh, like the guys are saying that right now, information, everything's right at our fingertips. Is you can just pull it up. If you want to know something, you can search it. It's by any different way or avenue. Wikipedia, Google, YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, wherever you want to find it, you can find it. The thing is, it's and it's free. Um, <laughs> but thing is, is that we're so wrapped up with kind of what is already put out there. Uh, that content is is more of stuff that's not going to help us improve. A lot of times, it's, it's a lot of times we're, we're looking at at shade room you know <laughs> i mean <laughs> but um so for someone to take advantage of those uh avenues uh at our fingertip to put information out there that can benefit us and make something that's maybe not the most sought out thing and mo- the coolest thing make it cool and accessible to everyone that's what everyone needs because it's, people are going to be on social media uh we just need some stuff out there on social media that's going to help them so that's what that's what my opinion is you know what terrence i'm gonna push back on you just a little bit because oh, you said boy well you said no 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 hear, hear me out you said that they need people like me i'm gonna push back a little bit and i'm gonna say we need people like you guys because all of you guys have just iterated that the information is out there and it's phenomenal but someone told me, and I can't remember the guest I have on the podcast, he said information without wisdom is absolutely useless. Oh, so, man. because we, think about it, he, I'm telling you, it was phenomenal. I cannot remember who, who told me, but he was saying, all of us can go on WebMD and self-diagnose ourselves. So why do we go to the doctor? It's to have the wisdom, someone who has lived it, seen it, experienced it multiple times before you, they can implement that wisdom. So that's where I'm going to push back, man. I, I think the information is great, but without wisdom from older 
uh, people who have experienced these things that I haven't experienced, you know, I think the information is lackluster at best. Man, I've been dead a couple of times, according to WebMD. Man, and um, going back to what you said, what you said is, is exactly how I feel too. I'm, I'm kind of old school. If you can see behind me, I got books. I'm, I'm, I'm more of a open up a book, you know. But um, I, I try to learn from people who've done it. You know what I'm saying? Going back to what you said, you know, at 23 years old, why would somebody believe you? Well, let me, let me do the work that way people will trust me so I, I try to learn from people who have done it like you said the wisdom there's so many and we can get on social media scams and so many people on social media now that you know it's, it's kind of harder to decipher there's just something to think about you know for everybody you know like you said the wisdom is really important somebody who's actually gone through it not just somebody who's just talking about stuff mm -hmm. amen man i love that yeah, man. So where, man, where, where can we find you, man? First of all, thank you for coming on again. Uh, man, you share some great information. You taught us old, old dogs, new tricks, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know? So we really appreciate you, uh, James, but where, where can people find you? Yeah, man, I appreciate coming on. I, I'm Gen Z money everywhere. I've got Gen Z money on Facebook, Gen Z money on Twitter, Instagram. How do you spell that? Uh, it's G-E-N dash Z. And then M O N dash E. It's kind of like a play on words. I know it's, it makes it kind of hard to find, but it's the best I can come up with. It makes sense, though. No, it, it makes sense. sense yeah, yeah. It's there. It makes sense. But yeah, and of course, I answer all of the messages that I get personally. So if, if you're reaching out, you're not just going to get some assistant. You're going to actually reach me personally. And I do respond to most of the, at least the polite messages. Sometimes. Oh man! So you're, you're you're Generation C. Terrence, what are you Generation X? Is that? Is that right? <laughs> uh, baby boomers. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. oh man! 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 Oh